Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. Last week, I talked to a young gentleman in relation to working with younger generations as a leader. Well, I also got a chance to interview another gentleman by the name of Vivek Yani. Now, he is a millennial specialist. He's a keynote speaker and author of two books, actually, Engaging Millennials, The Seven Fundamentals to Recruit, Reward, and Retain the Largest Generation in the Workforce. The second book is The Empowering Millennials, The Five-Step Sequence to Design a Life of Fun, Freedom, and Fortunes. His work with uh, He works with leaders to recruit, reward, and retain the multi-generational workforce. Now, he speaks around the world for many different organizations, and it was just great to have him on the episode and interview him about things. There was several things that uh, we talked about, and one thing for you to think about or watch out for as we talk through was, of course, about leading across generations. But the other one was about embracing failure as part of success. Another one was, how do you manage your emotions, especially when you're facing, uh, facing crises or incidents? And then finally, another major area that I sort of picked up from him was connect and lead across multi-generations. It's a wonderful episode, a great interview with a big awesome guy. And so, listeners, let's have a listen to the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Well, Vivek, I just wanted to welcome you to the Leadership is Changing podcast. Uh, listeners, I have a wonderful guest. His name is Vivek Ayani, and uh, he's a millennial specialist. So a big warm welcome to you. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am from sunny Singapore. Have you been here? Yeah, I used to go there about four or five, six times a year uh, in my global role and uh, actually looked at moving to Singapore at one stage, a wonderful place, great people. And um, yeah, if you haven't been there, listeners, I highly recommend going to Singapore. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, And the people there are beautiful and the food and the shopping is just great. So it's a great hub for there for around Asia Pacific, definitely. Now, uh, Vivek, I've already given an introduction to the to the audience a little bit about you, but is there anything else you want to share share with you uh, with us about your background? Sure. So I am a millennial specialist and a speaker. What I do is I talk to organizations about how they can recruit, reward, and retain the younger generation in the workplace. I believe that leadership is changing, and the way we lead with the younger generation has to also change in order to really keep them longer, not keep them forever, but keep them longer than we are keeping them uh, today. And that is only possible if we let go of leadership that's rooted in the past and embrace newer ways of leading. So what I do with organizations, I speak to engage with the employees. I do some consultation work with them around how they can come up with new strategies to really uh, boost that employee engagement across all generations, including the younger generations as well. Fascinating. And I think you've written two books, and I'm going to get to those in a minute. But you just said something there before about keeping them longer, but maybe not for forever, because I, I agree, I don't <laughs> think they stay there for much longer. But 
Well, what are one or two things you think leaders should be thinking about when they're hiring millennials, when they're bringing millennials on board? How do they actually retain them? Yeah, so leaders should be really thinking about how can I serve them as a leader, right? I think that is one of the key things that maybe was not the key um, definition of leadership back then. It used to be a very command and control. How do I command and control uh, my team members to get things done, right? Uh, leadership, essentially, it's about how do you move people to get things done effectively, right? Without uh, having to uh, really be the one doing it yourself, you get people to do it for, itself, for you. And that's where I believe that if you want to really get millennials moving as fast as possible to the highest potential, then you've got to start asking, what can I be doing differently with this group so that they feel motivated and inspired to go above and beyond? The problem I notice or the challenge is that a lot of leaders cannot connect with the mindsets that the younger generation have, the behaviors that they display. And it, it kind of uh, also is a confirmation bias of the stereotype that we do see in the media. The media, of course, paints a very extreme pictures. Either they are very good or they're very bad, right? And uh, you will fall into either camps based on your personal experiences. But I think it is the role of the leader to be the first to adapt. They want to see the change. And that's where I, I, I talk about all of these things, uh, you know, to organizations. It's the leader's responsibility to effect change. So they have to be the ones to change themselves first. And that's why leadership is changing. is uh, such a key theme, I think, for all leaders today. Okay, so leaders need to change first and adapt to be able to connect with the mindset of the extra millennials. So how do they connect? What, what can they do to connect with the mindset of a millennial? Well, the first thing is to to have this mindset of experimentation because the young people, they come in with a lot of energy. They come in with a lot of ideas. They come in with uh, new ways of doing things. So they love innovation. They love to try different things. And the moment someone says, hey, maybe, uh, you know, let's keep that idea aside or instead of saying like, you know, I don't think you've really thought this through, right? Having open experimental mindset to say, hey, I'm actually open to exploring that. Let's try it out. Let's see what we can get out of it. It may fail, but at least it, they don't get knocked down. They don't feel like their voices are not listened to, right? Young people, they feel like when they have a leader who's listening to them, uh, they want to contribute more. But what we are seeing today is a lot of leaders don't want to take up the risk of failure. And we are not embracing failure as a part of success. So what we do is, okay, um, maybe you stay here for a few years before you tell me how to do my job, right? So that's the kind of uh, feedback that they get. And then what then happens is they stop contributing. They go into what we call quiet quitting. Okay, you're not going to take in my ideas. I'm just going to do what's basic and what's necessary. And I'm still going to get paid anyway. There's no point for me to go over, above, and beyond because uh, my leader isn't listening to me and I don't feel heard and I don't feel like contributing. So we actually need leaders to really have that open mindset to listen and have that dialogue. And instead of just saying no, maybe even explain why. And that way, at least they can build a relationship. The original way of don't, don't do it, cancel, no go, it doesn't build a relationship in fact makes them question, why didn't my leader hear me out? Why wasn't my ideas taken into consideration? Why do I need to wait five years to contribute an idea? 
right? So all of these things are, I believe, uh, a lack of experimental mindset. Yeah, I think by saying all those kind of no's, it's just like they're putting roadblocks up in front of them. And then if they don't like the roadblocks, they want to go off and do something else, uh, for sure. And I love what you just shared there about embrace failure as part of the success or part of success. I think that is, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that's so important. So so, so important for the millennial, for the uh, for them working for a boss or a leader, but also for the leader to understand that as well and that we learn from mistakes. And I think that's important. And I see that you've written two books. One's called Engaging Millennials, Seven Fundamentals to Recruit, Reward, and Retain the Largest Generation in the Workforce. I think that is so important. The second one is Empowering, uh, empowering Millennials, The Five-Step Sequence to Design a Life of Fun, Freedom, and fortune. I see what you've done there. You've done the R's in the first book and you've done the F's in the second book. I see what you've done there. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty cool. I, I like what you say there about the recruit, reward, and retain that multi-generational workforce because I think it's really important. That's One is to attract them, but then it's also to retain, as we're saying, which is really important. And the other one piece you said is about the reward. Well, what do we mean by the reward? Well, you see, uh, the kind of rewards, the benefits we see in organizations are, see, have always been a one-size-fits-all, right? You get your insurance, you get your dental, right? You get your very basic stuff. But do you know that there are so many organizations, especially these startups, that are offering a lot more benefits that are very appealing to the younger generation because they have more options. So instead of a one-size-fits-all, because these benefits, I think they became a lot more popular as the baby boomers entered the workforce. Right, I'm going to, on top of its salary, I'm also going to give you this, this, and this. But we never really innovated on in that space. So how can we do that? How can we give more benefits that are varied? So a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old won't be so interested in insurance as opposed to someone who's probably closer to retirement in his 50s, late 50s, right? And 60s. But uh, we don't offer something for the 20-year-old. So in Alibaba, actually, they they have this, benefit of, you know, if you're single, we actually do matchmaking for all the singles within the organization. It is one way to keep our family stronger together. So the, the, the committee, of course, gets these names of the singles, put them up on a board and they do some matching. And if they actually marry, that's also been rumored that, you know, Jack Ma has also attended some of these weddings before because it is one of those things in their culture, right? And that's very relevant for someone who's single in their 20s, 30s, or maybe even their 40s, right? But that is something unique. Uh, we have had other uh, organizations that bring in health coaches into the workplace where they say, you know, um, you guys are sitting on the computer all day long, so we're going to change that up a bit. And we, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure you attend these exercise sessions that's, you know, Super easy. They come to the office. You do. A, you have a workout. You get a shower, and then you get back to work. Right? It's not always an eight to five. Sit down and work productively. Right? It, it is actually very different. We've even had uh, some uh, startup CEOs uh, give up a challenge for people to say that if you actually hit certain health goals, you get an extra salary, unlimited leave. Right? So many different ways to engage with the younger generation by offering different benefits that will really excite and bring out the best in them. Wow, that is so cool. Wished I had that when I was a graduate and a young guy. You know, first of all, I think it's helping remove a lot of the barriers, a lot of the objections or the excuses, right? So one is the matchmaking is one thing, but also bringing in the health coaches, getting them to exercise. It's getting rid of those excuses, oh, I'm too busy, I've got a deadline and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, it's really good to see. 
All righty, that's very good. Vivek, uh, next question for you here is, how did you get into leadership? Well, my my whole uh, entrance into leadership happened when I was 18 years old. I was enrolled into the National Service in Singapore. We have to serve two years uh, in the Army. And uh, I went through the basic military training. And that's where I discovered that I would really enjoy working with more people and leading them. And, you know, they gave us these missions. So that started my leadership streak. I got uh, selected into the leadership school from there on. And then I was posted back into the basic military training school as an instructor. Right. So that actually started my journey. And from there, I started realizing the important role of leaders. How do you, how do you motivate them? How do you engage with them? How do you make them feel listened to? And also it, that was when I actually found the kind of leader that I also aspire to be. So, um, you know, there's this uh, sergeant that I had. His name was Sergeant James, and I still stay in touch with him on Facebook, right? He is the only sergeant in our entire company. We have about, I think, four platoons, and we have about 16 sergeants. He was the only sergeant who never raised his voice, and yet he knew how to discipline his men when required and get them to be very motivated. Everyone wanted to be under his leadership because he knew how to manage himself and manage the people under him. And I, I, that was mind-blowing. I, I never knew because what we see as recruits and as trainees is that everyone shouting, screaming, you know, it is abusive. Right? The type of leadership we saw was toxic, right? But that's kind of expected in an army environment. But here I saw someone who went completely comfortable in not raising his voice and yet get, being able to get his team to perform really well. In fact, the people in his team wanted to make him proud. That's how much we really loved our leader. And that actually got me into the leadership. It got me so fascinated with the power of being able to communicate with people in such a way that you can drive them to do things that's way beyond their own belief systems. That was that was an eye-opening experience for me. And that's how I actually got started into, I really want to look into the space of leadership. Wow, wow, wow. So Sergeant James, I think you said his name was, um, that's that's pretty cool. I, I, wow, that, that's really good. So how he's able to do that and, and so forth, but then others wanted to make him proud and go along those lines. Now, my next question for you, and I don't know whether it's the same person um, or whether it's something else that you've got is, and that, you know, this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Right. So for me, being an introvert, right, and being someone who has pretty been throughout my childhood, pretty quiet and uh, pretty uh, docile in that sense. You're, I've you're always an looked at, I'm an introvert. Yes, I'm an introvert. So you're you're you've written two books and you're a speaker and you're an introvert. Yes. So I I see the irony there, but because a lot of people think that introverts are people who don't talk, they are shy and they cannot communicate. But I think um, introversion is more about energy, right? Introversion. We we can also be at a networking event. We can be flamboyant. We can raise our voices. But at the end of the event, our battery is flat, right? And we need to go back. Into the room, we need to rest. We need some solitude to re-energize ourselves. Extroverts, no, they they gain energy from uh, the people, from the from the audience, and they love to, talking to people. Introverts, I think the difference is in terms of the communication we have. We really think about what we want to say before we answer any questions. Extroverts, they think 
as they speak, right? So that's a, that there's, of course, a lot of differences uh, in this space. But for me, um, I was never the extrovert. I was never the loud voice. I was very quiet. And I looked around to, okay, who are the kind of role models? So I mentioned Sergeant James. Yes, he definitely fit into the, I guess, different archetypes. He fit into one of the archetypes of a leader. And I also am uh, looking up to a favorite leader, Gandhi. Right, Gandhi was also someone who amazes me because with his very soft demeanor, he was able to unite all people right together without having any kind of fancy tactics, without having a crazy personality. He's not loud. He's not very um, strong in terms of energy, but he still managed to influence people. He still managed to persuade people. So they are the role models I have because I can relate to them. I can see myself a little bit more like them. And uh, they also get things done. At the end of the day, as a leader, it's about taking care of your people so that they can do the things that need to be done, right? So for me, yeah, it is uh, Gandhi and uh, Sergeant James. They are all, and I have so many of people who are just like these that I feel are the the leaders that I really look up to because they can really carry themselves really, uh, really well and get things done. At the same time. Nice. And, that, and the reason I, asked, I sort of stopped you in, in relation to the introvert piece is because a lot of people think you have to be an extrovert to be a leader or you have to be an extrovert to be out speaking and things like that. And I think it's wrong. You don't. And you, you've just actually shared the reason why. And I think it's, it's wonderful to hear this because for those listeners who are introverts right now who are probably thinking about this, oh, maybe I can look at things differently. Maybe I can do that. And, you know, as you're right, Gandhi and others as well, they've been able to do it. The influence have had on other people, I think is really superb. And you're so right with introverts. It's amazing. When I work with them, I say to them, oh, about networking events, they go, oh, I got a networking event. And afterwards, they go, have to go and have a lie down or a rest because I'm just so exhausted from it. And um, last week, I was doing an event where I facilitated for three days. And one of the speakers was an introvert. And you could tell. Afterwards, he was exhausted. He loved it being up there, but then afterwards, he was he was spent. He was done. Yeah. Hey, if you were having on a if you were on a park bench right now with Gandhi, just the two of you, and you're going to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, uh, what'd be one question you want to ask him? Well, I always ask him, how do you manage your emotions in such a way that even when something that can be as triggering as an incident uh, happen. How do you manage yourself in such a way where you don't lose your cool, you don't panic, you, you, you maintain your composure at all points in time, and you, you know what's important, the ability to then move on from this and find the solution instead of going on a downward spiral in terms of anger, frustration, you know, and all of the other negative emotions that we tend to experience when something doesn't go our way. So I would love to ask him, how did you manage to really control your emotions? It's not, it's not suppression. He didn't suppress his emotions. It was really managing his emotional state in a way that it would help him to achieve the goal that he still wanted to achieve, right? And, and um, how, you know, because it's not easy. Gandhi is known for fasting for days, just to make people come together and and to listen to him. So he would 
do a lot of self-punishment on himself, right, uh, to get people to realize the severity of the, 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 the situation. So how did he manage? Because your body is screaming for food. You're hungry. But he still managed to dominate mind over body. And that's something I really want to learn from him if I could have a coffee session with him. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome question. I think it'd be a, a great one. I wish you had the opportunity to, to learn the answer to that question. You mentioned it before as uh, earlier on in the, in, the, in the episode, but I just want to ask the question again in case there's something else you want to add to it. The title of the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or the statement, what does it mean for you? Yes, I believe in this concept of a 5G leader, right? I've been talking about it for a while now. And uh, for me, what that means is like how our phones go from 3G to 4G to 5G, right? We also need to have our leadership change from 3G to 4G to 5G. And there's different ways you can look at it. Of course, it's a handover from one generation to the other, but it's also a shift in the way we engage with people. So as we see, the world is changing. We're living in a world where hybrid work is becoming more of the norm. Uh, you know, dealing with people, engaging with people virtually is becoming more and more common these days, right? And uh, along with that, right, mindsets have to change. So the mindset that everyone has to come into the office to clock in the nine to five is an old school concept. It worked in the past, but it will not be as effective in the future. And that's a switch of you know, going from a 4G or a 4G or 3G into a 5G leadership. The next thing we notice is that the younger ones, the younger millennials and Gen Zs who are showcasing leadership potential, they have an advantage. They are the digital natives. They understand technology a lot faster and they are less anxious about technology, which means they are also the ones who are able to be more productive and get things done at work, which may mean that they may end up in positions where they need to lead and manage people across different countries. And that and in that kind of a position, they may, they may actually have people who are senior to them working under them, right? Uh, never in the world have we seen, uh, you know, as much younger leaders are managing older employees, right? So the, the 5G leader is going to be someone who has to be able to connect with people across generations. You have to be able to connect with the baby boomers, the Gen Xs the millennials and the Gen Zs, and as opposed to last time when the baby boomers, you just have to manage the Gen X and the millennials, right? Today, the younger leaders, uh, you know, will have to manage someone older than them. So we do see that, you know, there is a shift that's happening where they have to really learn how they can change the way they communicate and, you know, manage the people, their expectations, their motivations in order to bring everyone together as a team to, to, you know, get work done, right, productively. So uh, that's where I believe leadership is changing. Uh, we are seeing that, you know, as the world becomes a lot more uh, diverse, right, we are working across cultures and across generations today. So a 5G leader is someone who has to be able to, uh, you know, unlearn and relearn everything as the times change. So someone who can really adapt really quickly is, is one of the key things that I believe uh, uh, is a definition of uh, leadership is changing. I, I don't know if you've, you've seen this TV program, or it was actually on Netflix, called SWAT. And it's about the SWAT team in the US, and it's really quite cool. And the, the sergeant there, before they go into the situations, he talks about the team being fluid. 
And I think what you're, you're actually talking about there, the 5G leaders, they're also being fluid in the sense that they can adapt and move with the different generations and what's going on. And I love what you just said there as well about unlearn and relearn, because we need to do that. We need to unlearn to relearn to better move forward as well. And listeners, if you are somebody who's working with multi-generations, this is really quite cool, what Vivek's sharing here about the 5G leader and having to move with the times and being very clear about that and uh, working with them. So if you can connect and lead across all gen- multi-generations or all generations, it's going to be a very smart thing and a very powerful, powerful leader that you're going to be that's going to be very effective and may have a good impact as well, So, which is really good. Now, Vivek, you and I and the rest of the world, we're living in a very fast-paced, ever-changing world, and for some reason, it's getting faster. Technology, data, <laughs> social, um, all those kind of things as well are getting faster. What do you reckon, uh, in addition to being the 5G leader, is there anything else you think that leaders need to do to be successful in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Well, I think one thing we have to realize is even though we are more connected, we are actually more disconnected at the same time. Now, what do I mean by this? We are all, we are all very connected by social media. We you know, do a FaceTime call, a video call with people. So we can reach people very easily today. But at the same time, uh, we are not having deeper conversations with the people today. As social media and all these technologies develop, our attention span is actually going lower and lower because um, we are bombarded by notifications. We are bombarded by so many things that are calling for our attention. So in a, in a world where everything is instant gratification focused, a leader who can go deep into relationships, into focus, yeah, into things is the one who can really achieve great things, right? I believe someone who can go deep is really important. That means the ability to focus and pay attention and stay focused on a task until it gets done is really, really important. So it is not just in task, but also in relationships. The ability to not only have, you know, these number of colleagues and friends, but to also build deeper relationships with these people so that they feel connected to the leader, right? It is the it is the back and forth conversations. It's the deeper conversations that build the relationship, right? If you don't like the person, you will not be able to go past a certain point. You don't feel like you will gel together with the individual. So as a leader, it's important to have deep focus and deep relationship building skills because the world is going faster and faster. We are getting more and more impatient as the convenience of things become a lot more easier. So the, the, the leader who can really focus and pay attention is the one that will really succeed in this fast-paced world. Yeah, we are. And it is fast-paced and people are impatient. They do want things quicker. I, I know even for some of my listeners are like, where's the next episode? Come on. And I'm like, whoa. So that's really amazing. Now tell me something. We, you and I have been talking about uh, leadership in general. We've been talking about the actual individual leaders as well. Let's change lenses now. Let's start talking a little bit more about the employee's perspective. How has the employee's expectations of leaders changed of late? Yeah, I think now, especially with the younger generation uh, growing up with parents who were a lot more um, of a parent, right? They were a lot more friendlier, a lot more consultative. You know, back then, children were meant to be seen, not heard. That's the common saying that we have, right? But today, and I think even from the baby boomers, as they became parents, they decided they want to be a lot more closer to children. 
So they treated millennials a lot more differently from how they were treated. In fact, I think a lot of the leaders today will say, if I treated my people in my team the way my boss treated me, I think they would leave because the leadership style is so different. And, um, and the reason I'm talking about this is because this has had an impact on the younger generation as well. Because when they see adult figures who are there, like their parents, their teachers, their school counselors, right, uh, career counselors, all of these people are asking the same question, how can I help you succeed in life? Right? Whether it's finding the right cause, finding the right people, finding the right opportunities, they are there to support you. So the idea or the concept or the model of an adult figure in these young uh, individuals, in their minds, is that these adults are here to help me, to support me. Basically, if I'm trying to ride a bicycle, they are, they are my support until I learn how to balance myself. So they are looking at these adult figures as mentors, as someone who is not going to lose their cool on them and be toxic, but someone who is going to be there to guide them and to push them to do what they can do best. So that's the expectation that the younger generation has or their leaders. However, when they go into a workplace where nobody cares about you, you are thrown into the waters and you have to learn how to swim. And when leaders don't communicate exactly what they expect out of their team members and they also do not know how to clarify without upsetting their leader, then it becomes a challenge for them. And that relationship, it starts to strain because the expectations are not met on both sides. So that's where I believe that, you know, in the future, we're going to see more and more coaches come about who can ask questions, who can lead them to find their own answers, as opposed to being directive, a very command and control approach, very do as I say, my way, the highway. That kind of approach, I think, is going to disappear as more and more millennials take up, uh, you know, leadership roles. And we're going to see more coaches, more mentors, and a, a different style of leadership. Uh, being uh, more popular amongst the employees because uh, they see that there are different ways to do it and the ones who really can get things done and at the same time have the hearts of their people are the ones who are able to really engage with the employees, right? So, so it's about as leader, the one who does the most for their people. I think that's where uh, the employees are looking for. That's the kind of leader that the employees are looking for in the future. Excellent. Yeah, some good words here, some good insights. Now, Vivek, uh, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out here and start thinking about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? Well, I think leadership is going to be in a space where, you know, you have to deal with people that you've never met before. You have never had the time to interact with before, right? And uh, But you are still connected. So, so you have to deal with people from a virtual point of view, right? You will have to deal with people who are across the world, right, in, in uh, different cultures. Right, you'll be working across geographies, across across locations, right? And uh, you will. I, I I believe that you know in in the future, it is all about ha- being able to bring people together through technology, right? It's about using technology and using that to bring people together, as opposed to using the skills that you've had to meet with people through coffee. So now we build relationships by meeting people. How do we now do that at scale? How do we build that kind of relationship, even when we haven't had that human-to-human, uh, you know, in-person conversations? So that's going to be the future as more and more people realize that hybrid work is going to 
really be, going to be here to stay, then I think um, in the future, we will definitely see a lot of the leaders focusing on using technology to build stronger relationships in depth. I think that is so exciting uh, about the future. I mean, using technology to help lead. You're so right. There are leaders today who have never met their team, um, who may not get to meet their team in the future, but working with technology to help lead is going to be very, very important. Vivek, I can't believe how fast the time has gone for this episode today. You've been sharing some really awesome insights. Tell me, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. Um, you can find me on my website, www.vivekiani. That's my first name, last name, vivekiani.com. Or you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. So it's uh, linkedin.com slash in slash millennial expert Asia. Awesome. We'll put those in the, social, uh, in, the, in the show notes, which would be great. Vivek, once again, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Dennis. You've asked really wonderful questions, and I'm so happy to be able to share some of those answers with you. And thank you for having me. Awesome. There you go, listeners. Another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.